how do you want to be seen? How do you want to be remembered? How do you want others to view you? Well, today, you can present yourself to be whoever you want through social media. A few posts, a couple edits, a little curating, a little manipulating, and you can present your ideal self to the world. But a post or a profile, it never truly depicts reality, does it? And sadly, this disconnect between social media and reality has been on full display recently in our news. You may have heard about Ruby Frank, a, a mom influencer from Utah, who was just given the maximum sentence for starving and abusing her children. Online, she had displayed a perfectly happy and healthy family. And you could have that exact same family if you just subscribe to her content. But reality, when the phones were down, when the cameras were off, her children experienced something much different. Today, terms like gaslighting and, and misinformation are common as we process what we see online. No wonder that Gen Z, the youngest generation who grew up with social media, they're said to be the most skeptical generation ever. Well, tonight, we're going to consider some curated content that is presented to us by God. It's a short verse, and God carefully crafts his words here. But while this verse, it doesn't tell us everything about God, it shouldn't leave us feeling skeptical. Instead, as we will see, it should, leave us, it should lead us to worship God for his glory and his love. Our passage tonight is Exodus 34, 6 and 7. If you're using a pew Bible, you can find it on page 74. Reminder, last week, June taught on Exodus 33, 18 and 19 where Moses asked God to show him his glory. God grants him his request. And we learn that God will be gracious and merciful to whomever he wills. From there, God gives Moses some instructions and prepares him to witness the glory of God. Tonight, we're going to see what happens next. Follow along with me, starting in Exodus 34, verse 4. And he rose early in the morning and went up on Mount Sinai, as the Lord had commanded him, and he took in his hands two tablets of stone. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generations. 
this statement, this revelation of God's glory was a turning point in Israel's relationship with God. Exodus 34, 6 and 7, it controls Israel's understanding of God. It defines their relationship to God. And it dictates their communication with God. Exodus 34, 6 and 7 should control us as well. So my encouragement for us tonight is this. Remember that God's glory controls our worship. Remember that God's glory controls our worship. Three statements that will help us unpack this main idea. One, God's character reveals his glory. Two, God's covenant love expresses his glory. And three, our worship displays God's glory. So first, God's character reveals his glory. When we think of the word glory, we think of what makes something great or magnificent or or awesome. Glory has a sense of weightiness to it, a a sense of power and, and majesty, authority. For us, glory is something that we chase after. It's it's achieved, it's earned through our accomplishments. Athletes achieve glory by setting records, by winning championships. Musicians achieve glory by writing compositions that will ring out for generations. We've seen in the book of Daniel that kings achieve their glory through their military and, and their conquests. But God's glory, God's glory is unique. God doesn't achieve glory. No, God's glory is inherent to himself. He is glorious. He is awesome. He is mighty by his very nature. And his glory is incomprehensible to our finite human minds. So how does God reveal his glory to us? He speaks. Notice what God does in this passage. He he passes by Moses and he speaks. He proclaims, he communicates about himself in a way that we can understand. And notice too, he doesn't talk about his accomplishments or his achievements. He doesn't start bragging about creation or, or the flood or Sodom and Gomorrah or the Exodus. No, he tells us about who he is. Verse 6, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. While God could have proclaimed his power or his might or his righteousness or his holiness, he ties his glory here to his mercy and his grace and his love. God wants us to know that his, he is glorious because his heart for his people, because of his unfailing, unending, unrelenting heart for his people. 
And let's think about this in context. Israel had just spent 400 years enslaved to Egypt. They experienced the harshness and the volatility and the burden of Pharaoh's reign. Then Israel is reacquainted with Yahweh. And he redeems them out of Egypt. Just a few months after the exodus, Israel is grumbling against God. They're regretting their decision to follow God out of Egypt. And they rebel against God and make a golden calf to worship. They're about to learn about the glory of God. Right? I mean, in their sin, they've provoked the full force of God's weight to come down against them. What comes down on Israel is not God's justice or wrath here. It's the glory of God's covenant love. That leads us to our second point, that God's covenant love expresses his glory. Of all the attributes that God could have proclaimed here, these are the attributes that God's covenant people get to experience. Covenant, in a word of simple definition, is a formal relationship that is marked by loyalty and a voluntary obligation. Sounds a little dry when I word it like that, right? But in the Bible, the covenant is the deepest and most sacred and most permanent, lasting relationship that two parties can enter into. This is what God enters into with Israel. A relationship where he will be their God and they will be his people. He will remain loyal to them faithful to them, and he will set his affections upon them. Israel is called to be obedient and faithful as well. But God places the burden of the relationship on himself. This covenant relationship, this is what God has allowed himself to be controlled by as he relates to his redeemed people. So God's people can be sure that God will not treat them or judge them or pour out his wrath on them like he will to the rest of the nations. No, God's people can expect grace and mercy, undeserved love and favor, pity and compassion in their weaknesses. They can expect patience, a God who is slow to anger, They can expect steadfast love and faithfulness. His constant, his consistent affection. They can expect forgiveness. That their transgressions, their iniquities, and their sins will be absolved. They can also expect justice. God will by no means clear the guilty. He will hold his people accountable for their actions and their guilt. But recognize the contrast in verse 7. The contrast between God's love and God's accountability. You may notice a footnote that proposes keeping steadfast love for thousands could also be translating keeping steadfast love to the thousandth generation. So God will visit iniquity to the third and fourth generation but he will keep his steadfast love to the thousandth generation. 
His steadfast love will far outweigh and outlast his remembrance of sin when it comes to his people. What God has said, God will do. Leaves us with attention, though. Right? Like, how does that work? How, how will God ultimately forgive without clearing the guilty? How will he express his grace and mercy while upholding his justice at the exact same time? Before we answer that question, notice that this tension doesn't seem to bother Moses. Exodus 34, 8, Moses doesn't respond with confusion or, or skepticism or, or, he, or ask a clarifying question. No, Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped. In church, God's character in and of itself ought to move us to worship. And that brings us to our third point, our final point for tonight, that our worship displays God's glory. Exodus 34, 6, and 7 echoes throughout the entire Old Testament. It dictates what Israel proclaims about God and how they relate to God. So in the Psalms, God is praised for his steadfast love and faithfulness. The, the nations are called to worship God for his steadfast love and faithfulness. God's covenant love is captured in almost every single Psalm in some way or another. In the prophets, Israel is called back to their covenant obligations on the basis of God's steadfast love and faithfulness. Israel fell into sin when they forgot. When they forgot the goodness of God, when they forgot the salvation of God, when they forgot the character of God. And in their forgetfulness, that's when they abandoned the covenant and were unfaithful to the God of all faithfulness. And that's why tonight I want to encourage us as a church to remember. Remember who God is. And remember that he has expressed his glory to us in a better covenant than he did with Israel. As Christians, as the people of God's new covenant, we don't have this tension. We don't, we don't have to question the character of God. No, we've seen the fulfillment. We've seen the clearest revelation of God's glory on full display in the person and work of Jesus Christ. The cross, God's mercy and God's justice were both executed perfectly. Jesus served as our penal substitute. He bore our iniquity and took on the punishment that he did not deserve so that sinners like you and me could receive a blessing that we did not deserve. The blessing that Christ earned on our behalf. The blessing of being in perfect union, perfect intimacy, and a perfect relationship with the God of all glory. When we remember that, we're moved to worship. And 
and God receives the honor and praise that is due his name, that's when we display the character of God and the covenant love of God for the entire world to see. We show everyone that this is who God is and this is what it looks like to be loved by him. If you're here tonight and don't call yourself a Christian, know that God is extending the exact same offer to you that he extended to each member of this church. He's offering grace and mercy and love to you in exchange for your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. Christian, Romans 12.1, Paul appeals to us by the mercies of God, by that loving, faithful, gracious mercy of God. He appeals to us to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is our spiritual worship. Are we ever going to know everything about God? No, not in this life. But God has given us everything that we need for life and godliness. He has carefully curated and crafted all the content that we have about him so that we may know him, so that his glory may be revealed, so that his love may be expressed, and that his name may be worshipped. Let's pray. Father God, your steadfast love never ceases. Your mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. And we praise you because your faithfulness is great. You are our portion, and therefore we hope in you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.